So, you know, I like to start out the episode by by dropping in an instrumental segment from mm-hmm. a song on the album. Do you think I'll be able to find one on this album? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not always easy. Between 1992 and 1994, Fish released three albums via Elektra Records, four if you count the reissue of their 1990 album Lawn Boy. The band had already struck gold as one of the premier live acts in the U.S., and Elektra was scrambling to capture that lightning in a bottle. They even went as far as making a video for Down With Disease from the 1994 album Hoist, along with getting Fish to play live on one of the MTV afternoon shows and The Late Show with David Letterman. Alas, outside their loyal fan base, no one was really buying their albums. As the story goes, the label came to the band and said, what do we do? How do we sell you? In tongue-in-cheek fashion, the band responded with, why not just release a live one? An idea was born, and in 1995, Elektra put out Fish's first official live release. A compilation of recordings from their summer and fall 1994 tours, the album captured the ferocity and musicianship of the live shows that the previous albums couldn't do. The album went gold in 1995 and later reached platinum status in 1997. It is still to this day their greatest commercial success and a testament to the idea of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Today on Hidden Jukebox, we discuss Fish's 1995 double album, A Live One. Oh, yes. Now, those people who know me who listen to this, so... You You knew this was going to happen. 22 out of 25 people Mm -hmm. uh, know that I'm really excited about this one. I'm excited too, even though... I don't 100% get it, and that's what we're going to spend most of our time talking about, I think. (laughs) Everybody's excited to hear how Matthew doesn't get what's going on with a band or an album and just wants to to have Jake answer answer questions about one album for an hour. Well, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to learn. You know, I made a list that is that is literally entitled "Stupid Questions" from Matthew. Um, but let's start by talking about like how we first encountered Fish, because I think I was listening to Fish before you. I first encountered Fish because you introduced my twin and me to it, probably in about nineteen. 1990- my twin, my twin, he's got a knife. <laughs> uh, I, it was about nineteen ninety two. You had got a copy of a picture of Nectar. That's right. And it- I'd heard Chalk Dust Torture. Where would it have been on MTV? I would have guessed that one of your friends at school went, this is the next big thing. You've got to check this out. And you listened to it and went, eh. Well, I love Chalk Dust Torture. I mean, I know I heard that like uh, in, I, I didn't hear the whole album. I heard I heard Chalk Dust Torture played somewhere. And I'm like, ooh, this, this band writes like tight rock songs. I'm going to get this album. And I was 12 and I didn't get it. I I was like, I don't know what's going on here. It doesn't sound like anything else coming out right now. It doesn't sound like anything I'm listening to. I just don't get it. And then Rift came out in 1993 and you got a copy of that and I fell in love immediately. Yeah, I did too, though. I thought, I think Rift is incredible. And it wasn't until years and years after that that I became aware that Fish was that there was an entity to Fish beyond that they put out that studio album every couple of years. So let's dive into this idea okay. of that they were putting out albums mainly partially because they want to put out albums, but mainly because their label was saying, You've gotta get a hit for us. You're selling out arenas at this point. Right. How is it that you're not selling these albums? And so they had already made a couple albums when they got picked up by a label. Uh, They put out Rift and they 
really made it a conceptual album and were trying to do something that worked as a cohesive whole. And it certainly didn't fail. I mean, yeah. Fish had moderate commercial success with each of their albums as they came out. But moderate commercial success back then, which is major now, was about sure. 250 to 500,000 copies. And none right, of their albums is, were even going gold. Which is 500,000 times as many copies as a boogie with the hoodie sold. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. What a great, great song, by the mm-hmm. way. Uh, I, I think we're going to bring up this song maybe a hundred more times Wait, on the, the show. Wait, the Boogie with a Hoodie song? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. What was the line that I loved so much? I don't fucking She let me remember. touch it in Miami? Something like that? <laughs> Something very close to that. Um, so they, they were working really hard on making albums and trying to do interesting things with them. When Hoist came out in 1994, they had guest horns on it they mm-hmm. they, they guest horse on the cover they, they did they had a hoisted horse on the mm-hmm. cover uh they got allison krauss to sing on a song yeah. they 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 were doing things that, uh there was even a guest spot by the guy who played commander Riker on star trek now i know there was a there was a song called Riker's mailbox that right features oh i don't think i knew what's that. his ass who played commander Riker oh on no that but show. If, if we don't come up with the name of that guy no one's ever gonna listen to us again god damn it you know beard man beard man that's it uh, <laughs> shit we'll, we'll have to look that all right up we're done we'll drop later. it in uh, yeah and that guy's name as we all know is Beep. <laughs> All right, so so yeah, so I listened. I loved Rift. I listened to it a million times. I I bought Hoist when it came out, which was ninety six, right? Ninety four. Ninety four. Okay, which one came out in ninety six? Billy, uh, Billy Breeds. Okay, because um, I remember I remember possibly the the last Fish studio album that I bought when it came out was was that one because I remember I was living in Seattle by that time. Well, in between those two albums came this, a live one, yeah, which, which was released in which 1995. I completely passed me by because I basically ignore live albums. Right. And a lot of people do. I mean, yeah. I, I like to think of quintessential live albums as things like Frampton Comes Alive, which, as we know from Wayne's World, was actually issued to you when you moved into a home in the Midwest. Exactly. Uh, Kiss. Along with a talk box. Uh Kiss's live albums, which I learned later were re-recorded with studio tracks yep, to, to make them sound better. This was a real live album, but they did something interesting with it, which was was something that they never repeated again. Instead of taking one live show, which they're known to do, and putting it out, they collected together uh choice cuts from shows during their summer and fall tours and this actually came from hours of the band not only listening to songs and picking the best versions but back then in the early days of the internet going to rec.music.fish nice and asking the fans what are your favorite versions of these songs what do you think should be included on this album were any of the band members ever heard to say during those sessions i can't believe i have to listen to a 30 minute fish song I highly doubt it. Okay. I think at, at that point they were like, yeah, man, we, we did a 30-minute tweezer. It was uh-huh. awesome. They were probably too high to remember it at the time. But, right. you know, when they went back and listened later, they were like, I can't believe we pulled this shit off. Okay. I want to I wanna play a little music before we get any further. And I think we should start with the first song on the album. Okay. Bouncing Around the Room. Sounds good.
still asleep For when my hand was holding hers She whispered words and I awoke And faintly bouncing round the room The echo of whomever spoke And I awoke And faintly bouncing round the room The echo of whomever spoke So in this, first of all, this song is only four minutes long. Um, and in there, I think if we listened to the end, we would get kind of a sneak preview of, of a lot of what's going to happen throughout the album. We have so many other opportunities to do that that we don't really need to, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, so, OK, but but there are some the, some real like signature fish moves that happen almost immediately. Well, there's there's three things I want to say here. Yeah. One, uh for those that don't know, I've seen Fish 80 times. Oh, awesome. Uh, between, I was going to ask. Between 1996 and 2019. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot compared to a lot of people I know. I know Do you know, is it known who holds the record? It's not known who knows who holds the record, but I know multiple people who have seen over 300 shows. That's a lot. That, that's I don't think lot. I've seen 300 shows of all bands put together. I've definitely seen a lot of concerts, but uh, not 300 times of any band. Right. Uh, number two, they set up this album in a way that... I listened to a Boogie with the Hoodie 300 times, and he went to number one. <laughs> That's all it took for that mm-hmm. song. It's amazing. We are the change makers today. That's right. Uh, number two, they set up this album uh, in a way that it makes it sound like it's a full live show. So even though they picked songs right. from different uh, shows, they open it up with the with the audience waiting for them to come on stage and then the big cheers they come on stage and the end of the first disc says they're going to take a little break the start of the second disc sounds like the beginning of a second set and the end of the second disc they say we've had a great time tonight yeah so even though it's culminated from different uh material or different shows it all winds up as this concept album of being an entire live show number three even though Fish is thought of as this jammy, we're going to take it out there, do a lot of weird stuff band, they're really into writing hooks, melodies, choruses. And Bouncing Around the Room is a great example of a verse with a very singable chorus. Oh, yeah. This this song has been bouncing around the room that is my head for the last several days. It's been bouncing around my head for about 22 uh-huh. years, 24 years now. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so some key fish things that you get right away in this song. And and some of these aren't like, I mean, they're just like what fish sounds like. So, uh, you got vocal harmonies. Yep. Uh, you've got piano. Yep. Uh, you have clean guitar. Yep. Um, what else would you throw in there? Uh, you've got polyrhythmic drum beats and then you've got very, very forward bass lines. So this band is known as the whole is better than the sum of its parts. Trey, Mike, Fish, and Paige yep. together are what make the band. There's no way that they would ever replace anybody. It would be very difficult for them to tour as Fish without any of the members, and this band has now been together for 36 years doing this Yikes. with the same members. They uh, are this sound together. Um, another thing I would add about the vocals is it's not just that they're that they're vocal harmonies, but they are kind of hanging back from the mic um, in a way that is similar to like, you know, the Dead, obviously, but all, but like you know, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Like, it's there's a very um, folk approach to the vocals. Jake's fun fish fact number yes. one. Okay, 
Uh, they took barbershop quartet lessons together early did. on so that they could learn how to harmonize correctly. And part of barbershop quartet vocals is hanging back from the mic. So it okay. So so I nailed it there. Yep. All right, cool. You got it. Um, yeah, it's a very particular technique that you that that is it really like sets you in a particular era and style um, because. Well, okay. I was going to say no one really does that anymore, but actually like a bunch of indie bands do that. Sure. Sure. Uh, and, you know, Fish wasn't doing anything new with what they no. were doing with vocals at all, but they did it well. And they they could not possibly have achieved the level of success they did even this early on without having these vocal melodies and the catchiness that they did. Yeah. Because otherwise they'd be... Well, I hate to use Rush as an example since they're so big, but there's that joke about the women's bathroom is always empty at a Rush show because only dudes go and see them. Right. Sure. <laughs> Fish has a diverse audience. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, still white people, but diverse right. nevertheless. Uh, so I, uh, I also want to talk about Chalk Dust Torture in a minute, but... I will say that this and Gumbo were the two songs that were released as singles from this album. I doubt they charted, right? They did not okay. chart. I mean, they didn't do anything. But the reason why we're covering this album on Hidden Jukebox today is because it's the one platinum selling album that Fish mm -hmm. had. Back in the day when you released a double disc, it was considered technically two albums so in order to go platinum you only had to sell 500,000 right. copies oh that. i forgot about that now it went platinum about three years after it was released in 1997 but it did reach gold status in 1995 uh -huh. the year that it was released and so electra actually hit the nail on the head with this one and and knocked it out of the park and fish <laughs> never had success like it before and never had success since well with, i mean with an, album. with an album right they're all worth almost $100 million oh, sure. on their own, but it's all been success achieved by performing live every year. Right. So I want to ask you about this, because you, you've been to fish festivals. Oh, yes. Um, I have not. I want to know, like, like I want to play ethnographer here, like, what goes on? Because mo most, they mostly don't bring other bands along, right? Is not even mostly they they don't bring other okay bands so what what happens how how much do they play each day because it's, it's typically like two days right? it's either two days or it's three days okay. if it's two days they'll play three sets a day if it's three days they'll usually do two sets on two of the days and three sets on one of the days okay uh, and like a two hour set an hour and a half to two okay. hours it, it all depends they are also known for surprising people at night and coming <laughs> but, up like by <laughs> like, unzipping like, their, their <laughs> oh hey mike how's it going uh -huh. well i guess this is what i paid for <laughs> uh they'll do improv improvisational sets in the middle of the night that are unannounced and unexpected and they've done everything but from performing on the back of a flatbed truck to playing on the top of an air control tower at one of the Air Force bases they play. <laughs> Six planes crashed that day. I think I think a couple things should be said here. Uh, one being, not many other bands could play their own festival on their own and draw 75,000 people. Nope. Another is, uh, when they play in the middle of nowhere in Maine, they become the largest city in Maine when they do this, <laughs> which is absolutely unbelievable. So they're... Their festivals are something different from what anybody else can accomplish on their own, and they make their own little cities when they do it. Uh -huh. Now, 
like Burning Man. It, it is. It was it was a precursor to Burning Man. The funny thing about a live one is if you look in the liner notes, instead of seeing where each song was recorded, it just says it was recorded at the Clifford Ball. Now, right. this is another one of Fish's little practical jokes that they, they played because the Clifford Ball was their first festival that they threw. And they threw it in 1996, a year after, after this, this album, album came, came out. out. So, so nobody even knew what the fuck that meant. They just right. said... Oh, and it was named after like a guy named Clifford Ball. They right? they had okay. been going through an airport somewhere and seen some sort of uh, tribute to this guy Clifford Ball, and it was something like uh, a, a beacon of light in the world of flight. I think was the saying <laughs> underneath it, and the say, and the saying for That's the good. Clifford Ball was a beacon of light in the world of flight. Nice. Um, there was a planned. Uh, thing at the end of of Clifford Ball where a guy was supposed to jump out of the plane and land in the middle of the audience at the end of the encore, and it, they totally botched it, and the Clifford Ball ended I mean, on this really weird note. When you say totally botched it, was the guy okay? It was more like. Ah! <laughs> I mean, I, they they sounds like they need to be kept away from air control towers. No, nobody knows where he wound up. He's still missing to this day. Cool. <laughs> Let's listen to Chalk Dust Torture. <laughs> okay. song has been played by fish 465 times okay this is arguably the best version they ever recorded of it now there's no way that fish could have known when they released this in 1995 but 1990 <laughs> that they would never play it this well they, again <laughs> not only that but 1994 is considered widely the banner year for fish the best year where they were firing on all cylinders right this around this time was when i started to hear like that they played vacuum cleaners on stage and jumped on trampolines and shit they had already been doing that but yeah. 1994 was when they when were when they they upgraded to those dyson vacuum cleaners they they were sucking better than anybody had ever, <laughs> ever sucked, sucked. Uh, every every night several fans would get get sucked from the front row into the vacuum cleaner and that's their fault for standing in the front row you you don't stand in the front row of a fish show or sea (laughs) world you're gonna get soaked or sucked up Mm -hmm. uh it's like reverse gallagher If they had started smashing watermelons on stage, I wouldn't have been surprised. Sure. But no, they had all. But of someone the, already did that, right? 
they had all of their own gimmicks down at this point, but they were playing so incredibly well at this point. They had been touring nonstop for five or six years by by this point all over the country. They had honed the, the way that they do things. And here's where I'm really going to geek out for a minute. Okay. Um, and then I have a couple of questions about this song. Well, you one of your uh, stupid questions for, Math, for Matthew is... How do you enjoy a jam? Well, I want to I want to spend a long time talking about this. Like not not necessarily the length of an actual fish jam, but a while. Well, so there are two types of fish jams. So okay. There's type 1 and type 2. Uh type 1 is basically the format of the jam is set when they write the song and they stick to that. Type so 2 When you say format, you mean like there's like a chord progression that they're playing over or and they're going to kind of stick stay within that framework. Correct. There is a framework for the jam. Type two is even if the song has a framework for the jam, they go away from it. They start improvising. Uh, they actually have a saying for this that they would use in practice called including your own hay. So one person at a time would start an idea and everybody would glom onto that. And then maybe in the middle of that, one of the other members would start an idea and it'd be like, hey. Ah. And, and so you included your own hey. And then they started incorporating it live. And 1994 was the epitome of including your own hey, where when they would play 30-minute versions of Tweezer like on this album, you can hear one person starts an idea and everybody else goes, hey, and takes it. And that's how the Type 2 jams get created. So a type two jam is a jam that goes outside of that box. Sometimes way outside. Right. And these so, days they don't do that like like they did back in 94. So how, I mean, you have played jams with a band on stage. I have not really. How do you, how do you manage that such that it doesn't collapse? Sometimes you don't. And, Sometimes it does collapse, and, and, and you don't put that one on the album. You you don't put that on the live album right. for sure. But some, I mean, Fish has become uh, a band that will at least once a year do a a live release because they have their own label mm-hmm. now and aren't confined to the constructs of a major record label. They can do whatever they want, and there's no such thing as a perfect show for them. Even right. these live recordings have flubs on them, and jams in general. Sometimes they go off the rails. Sometimes they don't know what they're doing, and it right. just doesn't come out all that great. It's it it's not going to be perfect every time. But that's part of the fun of seeing fish, is getting to see what happens each night. So there's like there's actual risk involved. Uh, well, they're not going to hurt I mean, themselves like, <laughs> or anything. But <laughs> actual risk is a strong word. But like that, that I guess like part of what what uh, makes it exciting is that it could fall apart. And and one of the interesting parts of it is there is this uh, saying for their lighting guy, everybody calls him CK5 because they consider Chris Kuroda, their lighting guy, the fifth member of the band. Okay. He is so good at following what they're doing on stage. And he puts on five bottles of CK1 before every show. He smells amazing. Fucking terrific. Uh, I mean, it's his responsibility to like uh, perfume the entire venue. You know, you promised you were going to take this seriously, Matthew. You're and right, I just sorry. feel like you're not. <laughs> uh, so, the whole show is a light and sound kind of bombardment that that has to be seen live to really understand what's going on. And what's amazing about this album is they really do a great job of capturing what it's like to see fish live, mm-hmm. but only about. 
two thirds of it because so much has to do with yeah, the lighting on this album sucks. Honestly, it, it really sucks. You can't see a f- right freaking thing going on the entire time. <laughs> I, I I just close my eyes and picture it. Okay. Yeah. Uh. So so sometimes the band will actually follow what Chris is doing with the lights. He's that okay. important. That makes sense to to what is going on, and he in turn has to follow what the band is doing because if he just leaves pink lights on the band while they're going all over the map in a type two jam. It just doesn't have the same effect. I've had this experience a couple of times. Like I've only in the past few years really understood how important lighting is to a show because I've had a couple of experiences in the last year or two of going to a show where everything was good except the lighting and coming away feeling like there was something wrong at that show. Like, you know, it did not get anywhere near its potential because the lighting was boring there are certain bands a lot of bands that don't tour with a lighting director or lighting manager they just go from venue to venue and they bring their own sound guy so that their sound is dialed in but they don't bring a light person which means they're relying on either their sound guy or somebody at the venue to do something with the lights while they're playing often with disastrous results It, yes, I, I've seen other bands. Wait, disastrous results would be like if a light fell on you. You haven't seen that happen at a show before. <laughs> a light falling on someone. <laughs> Sorry, we lost another drummer. Uh-huh. We are Spinal Tap. Yep. We'll see you next time. <laughs> um, so this song, this song is a little different in a few ways from what Fish is known for in general. Uh, not not that they don't have any other songs like this, but it's got it's got a uh, a distorted guitar riff, like a very classic rock riff. Um, it's got the the vocals are are not leaning back; they're leaning into the mic, um, and you can sort of tell what the song is about. Like the the lyrics are not are not uh, just purely like tone painting. Um, you know, it's a it's a kid sitting in class being annoyed. Well, let's let's talk about the lyrics for right. a minute, and then remind me to tell you all about Dan Cantor. Okay, but but my, will you, in the course of the lyri- talking about the lyrics, answer the question: What is a family berserker? I I still don't know what a family okay. berserker is, unfortunately. Uh, years before this came out, uh, Trey Anastasio, the lead singer and guitarist of Fish, teamed up with his fr- old high school friend Tom Marshall and started writing songs together. So Trey does write his own lyrics. They suck. Okay. <laughs> Most of the lyrics that you hear from 1990 or so on are written by Tom Marshall. Okay. Un- so unless he's it's the, another he's band the top in. Yes, exactly. He he's the top into the Elton John. Right. Uh, and he comes up with back then really obscure, unusual stuff that that was part of the tongue in cheek humor of the band that made it playful, made it fun. Now. Just like anybody who gets older, he started writing a lot more love songs as they went oh, along. Oh, interesting. Uh, you listen to their later stuff, and it's more about family. It's more about friends. It's more about love, things like that. But back in this era, a lot of it was so weird. I mean, a lot of it is sort of like if um, if Beck made Loser 24 times. <laughs> more like 150 uh, yeah, times. Yeah, okay, because, right, Um because uh, I printed out the lyrics from Stash. Were we going to listen to Stash? We are going to listen to okay. Stash. Maybe we should listen to it, and then I'll read some of the lyrics well, let me in tell a you dramatic about, reading. Uh, let me tell you about Dan Cantor real okay. quick. Dan Cantor is the guitar player for Justin Bieber. Okay. He also happens to be a major Fish fan of all things. He did a podcast uh, with Tom Marshall, the, the lyricist for Fish, and he ended up 
getting to play one of Trey's guitars. And Trey comes in later and talks to him and says, my guitar is so hollow bodied and and <laughs> and so light on on touch that you barely even need to touch a string in order for a lot of noise to come out. So okay. he had to practice really hard at not playing too heavily on mm-hmm. stage. And this is the song that he really rips into things. So he's got all sorts of effects on stage, but it's kind of like a hot mic. It's it's like you play it a little bit too loud, a little bit too much, and it's a sure, bunch of feedback. feedback. Yeah. So anybody else picks up his guitar and it ends up being a mess. No, nobody else touches it. That's it's a good insurance policy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, sorry, this is mine. This is what I'm going to do with this thing. <laughs> when when they park the van and leave their instruments, and he puts a sign in the window that says Trey's guitar, you probably won't be able to play it. Don't, don't bother. Don't bother. Don't right. even try it. You can't sell it. You can't play it. Uh, so I I actually learned a lot from Justin Bieber's guitarist in terms of what Trey does and, yeah. and what what he uses on stage. Okay, should we listen to a little stash? Yes. printed out the lyrics to Stash and uh, forthwith. Pulling the pavement from under my nails, I brush past a garden dependent on whales. The sloping companion I cast down the ash, yanked on my tunic and dangled my stash. Zipping through the forest with the curdling fleas, to grow with them spindles the mutant I seize, I capture the dread beast who falls to his knees and cries to his cohorts asleep in the trees. And that's the part before it gets weird. I love how your note here is, to what extent would you say fish lyrics are scat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they've, they've, at least on this earlier stuff, they've, they've gone mostly like all the way over into, uh, you know, using, using the voice as an instrument and the words to, to sort of capture a feeling rather than tell a story, I think, right? Right, exactly. I don't mean that as a criticism. It's not a criticism. Right. And, and what's even funnier is you go to a show and you look over at the guy next to you and he is singing along with each lyric as though it actually means something. Of course, yeah. Like... Yanked on my tunic and dangled my stash. Well, I mean, except that that part is obviously just like a dick joke, right? No, the guy is actually wearing a tunic. <laughs> well, but but like, oh, I figured he like yanked open his tunic. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yanked down his tunic right. and dangled his stash. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if I actually know what a tunic looks like. I, I'm not sure I do okay. either, nor, nor do I know. Or, I think I was picturing toga. Or... <laughs> No, then it would be yanked on my toga and dangled my stash. I understand. Uh, 
the point was never what the lyrics meant. I think that that part of the identity of the band back then was things are weird. Things are going to be weird. The yeah. whole intro of this song is not the type of thing that you put on the radio. Right. Well, it's, it's very jazz influenced. It's so quintessential fish. Mm-hmm. It is these arranged, almost classical style fugal types yeah. of, of of intros of written out parts and they were really into this especially back in this era in this day and stash is one of the greatest examples of that where you have to take two minutes before you get to any vocals and it's it's kind of a throwback to that 70s era of prog rock genesis yes things like that so i'm I'm like forming a theory like just this second like uh fish is a band that showcases like tremendous technical skill and like depth of musical knowledge. And it's hard to think of a band like that that has had much major radio MTV success. After the 70s. After the 70s, right. After the, after the Prague era. Because like the, the, another band that came to mind when I was thinking about like who else, who else is like that that is, you know, not, you don't really hear them on the radio, but they have legions of devoted fans is Dream Theater. Right. Right, but they were, they may they might have started in the eighties. And yeah, once, sure. Once again, can you name one Dream Theater song? No, but but I think most people can't name one Fish song. And that, that's my that's point. true. Right. Um, Rush had a lot of commercial success, Absolutely. and they they did a lot of unusual stuff, and even got unusual stuff like this played on the radio. Yeah. Fish created their own sound, and I'll talk for a second here about the the comparisons to the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. And it was not because they sounded the same or, you know, part of it was that the fans were kind of shared between the two bands. Yeah, that makes sense. So they got lumped together. And there weren't a lot of other bands taking songs way out into type two type of jamming. But other than that, I challenge anybody to listen to The Grateful Dead and go, "Uh, yeah, I can see how they sound a lot like Fish. They don't sound anything alike. Except for the the folky vocals. Uh, Even the Dead were writing... They weren't writing things like these lyrics. They no. they also used a songwriting team, two songwriting teams of a lyricist right. and a songwriter. So they shared that too. But a lot of people think that uh, Fish carried over the torch as though they were only kind of big until Jerry Garcia died in 1995. That's not true at all. Sure. They in 1994 when these were getting recorded, they were playing arenas already. Yeah. They they were already twenty thousand people per city large. So, can I ask a question about the dead? You may. Um, th- no, this is a serious question. When you were a kid, w- did you think the Grateful Dead was like a scary band based purely on like seeing bumper stickers with a skull on them? Absolutely not. Really? Because I totally did. Like, I did not know what the Grateful Dead sound sounded like. I mean, I'm sure I had heard them, but didn't know it was them. But I would see, you know, like the T-shirts and the bumper stickers. Be like, oh wow, this is like some satanic dark shit. But then you'd look at what type of vehicle Person, it was, right. it was right. then you'd, you'd drive past the vehicle and I be was, like yeah. yeah man I was too young to make those inferences I think I, I probably was too but I certainly didn't look at it and go yep this is where death metal began right no I was I mean when I was like six maybe I, I guess I don't have any recollection of that but yeah. when I was six Metallica was starting to become popular sure. so I already knew what the dark bands were yep. and the Grateful Dead was not one of them so that that's all I want to say about the Grateful uh-huh. Dead. R- really, fish is their own thing, and 
what has happened since then, what they have created is a legion of other bands that kind of follow in the footsteps of this idea of a written out section, a vocal section, a jam section. There's been band after band that has tried to capture this. One of my favorites, Umphreys McGee, who would hate it if they knew that I was <laughs> comparing them to Fish, do the same sort of thing where they'll write very, very technical, complex, ranged uh -huh. parts. Then they'll do vocal sections with choruses. I was just having a conversation last week with a friend of mine, David Steinberg, who's one of Fish's oldest fans. He just saw his first Humphreys McGee show, uh -huh. and he said, the one thing that's missing from that band that Fish does really well is singable choruses. Okay. Is these, these sing-along sections where the whole audience is banding together, where they're doing something together, where they're playing along with the band. And it's it's something that's hard to capture something that's hard to do and fish does it very very well stash even is a great example because that whole section of everybody clapping along oh i wanted to say something about that i realized while we were listening to it i'm like what what is going on there like how come like people are so bad at clapping and it's because it's a huge audience and the claps are all reaching the mic in waves at different exactly. times exactly exactly right? well <laughs> that was the fans teaming together passing out flyers in the lot saying we're going to start clapping during the song there was never anything with the band on stage going right and, and and everybody following along that was something that was created by the fans because they it was always this shared thing mm -hmm. everything with fish is about the the band giving to the fans and the fans giving back to the band right well and you have to bring you have to throw rice during the wedding scene um you <laughs> Uh, I can't think of any other things from Rocky you, you, Horror. You are, you are trying to joke. There was a show where Fish handed out thousands of boxes of macaroni and cheese and had people shake them at specific <gasps> times. Oh, I love it. So not very far off from Rice at the Wedding scene. Yeah. Uh, they, they, if you think of something stupid, Fish has probably done it at some point. And then later that night, um, Paige McConnell would come to your tent and ask, ask if you could have some of your macaroni. Uh, or Grey Poupon for that matter. Yes. <laughs> well, that was after they got really big. <laughs> you know, the fans started having more money, things like that. Okay. So I want to know, I want to understand more, um, and I don't really know what is what how to ask the question, like, how what's going on in your in your mind and your heart as as you're deep into like a 20 minute jam? Because uh, I find so, um, you know, I, I got to be honest here. Like, I think, you know, I believe all music is good. I I understand that opera is, you know, incredibly technically involves incredibly technically proficient performers you know with beautiful melodies and i just don't know how to appreciate it and i feel the same way when i listen to one of these songs because i and i think it's like i feel like i have a short attention span and specifically like i want i want my tension and resolution to be happening more often i i have to uh tie in yet another stupid question from matthew into uh -huh. this which was which are the best drugs for enjoying a 30-minute well, fish and song? And again, that's not a joke question. Ecstasy. Like, okay, yeah. So so I, I've never done ecstasy. Like, how does that change your experience of the song? They could be playing just about anything, <laughs> and it, it feels like the wind is blowing through every pore in your body and then somehow blowing back out. It's amazing. Okay. To so you're like a human ocarina. Oh, uh, it is... 
it's quite an experience. And then the next day is the worst day of your life. Absolutely. And I got it. That's why I haven't done it in a very long time. Uh-huh. Uh, really, it takes a certain set of ears and a. I, it's hard to say this without sounding like. You what? feel free to to talk down to me. That's why we're here. It, it it is it is like talking down as though it's oh well you have to be part of the elite to understand what's going on here. It's still hit and miss, but really part of it is knowing the song so well and knowing what they do so well mm-hmm. that when they start going off the rails into type two territory, you're taking a ride with them. Basically, it it is. Well, now we know that they're not going to come back to the song. What is going to happen next? The band doesn't know. You don't know. There's this level of excitement about it. And sometimes it falls flat on its face yeah. where, where you go, okay, th- this is just wasting all of our time. It's time to move on. And sometimes just magic happens where you can't even realize that 30 minutes has passed mm-hmm. because you're enjoying it so much. And it's like free composing on stage. And that's right. really where it gets good. Some people can't stand that. They they want concise, well-written songs. Some people, it fascinates them watching a band that is so tight together and understands each other so well that they're willing to take these chances and see if they pay off. Yeah, I get, I get that intellectually. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I intellectually, yes, but but sometimes it's just not for some people. Yeah. I mean, I listened to this album f- through five times this and, week. And let me guess. Tweezer was very, very hard to listen to over. And it over was again. hard. Yes. Yeah. I so I, every time I had the experience of like this thinking this must be almost over and looking and there were 20 minutes left. Yeah. Um, and I, I was I was starting to form a theory that there are two different types of long songs, which I called Type E and Type T, um, because there are some very long songs that I really like, including a fish song, Esther. Yeah. Um, but that is a song that's really a bunch of different songs knit together. It's like a thick as a brick type of thing. Um, and so that's, that's why I'm calling it a Type E song. E although, is for Esther, right, T is but for now Tweezer. I t, t, is, t is for Tweezer, but now because I said that, I'm thinking T could be for Thick as a Brick. So <laughs> this, was, this was not a clever idea. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's the, it's, I have no trouble enjoying the Type E Esther type songs, um, but the, the Tweezer type songs, like, I, I get musically some of what's going on here. I keep saying the same thing over and over. Like, make me like this song. I can't. I know. In fact, even the tweezer on I this want recording to like it. is very challenging for me. If I think mm-hmm. I think if I had been there live, I would have been pumping my fists going, yes, this is absolutely incredible. But listening back to it, it's like they are. See, I think it's ADD jamming. I, I don't. <laughs> OK, I, I think they're like, well, we stuck with this idea for a minute and a half. Let's go to another idea. OK, here's what I want to do. I want to. Uh, put on this song, but just pick a random timestamp in the middle and and listen to like a minute and a half from there. That's a great idea. Perfect. I'm going to talk through this a little bit. I yeah. want I want you to listen to what each of the four instruments is doing during this. Okay.
chosen their own line yep. to stick with. And they're most they're they're only playing over each other a little bit. They're kind of taking turns going around. Right. So now they've glommed onto a new idea, okay. including your own hay. What what is that sound? The, the scraping sound. That is Trey scraping his pig okay. along the strings. So this was most likely Fishman starting a drum beat and everybody else choosing to latch onto that. So by by the end of the song, they're com- going to come back around to the the chorus or the verse. I'm not sure which it is. The the main riff. The main riff. Um, how how are they going to decide when that happens? There's no answer to that. It's, it's just an emergent property like a slime mold. They there have been many many interviews with members of the band where they've said, where people have asked. Do you guys decide in advance how long the songs are going to be on stage? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So if things are going interestingly, they'll do 30 minutes. If they're not, they might play it for seven minutes. Should we just leave this playing in the background for the rest of the show? Absolutely not. Okay. It's so distracting. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to do is play You Enjoy Myself immediately after this. Because, okay. because You Enjoy Myself, to just speak to it for a minute, is a through composed song that even though it's i think 19 minutes long on this album is never goes into type two it's very long but most of it is composed it's barely got any vocals and most people consider it the quintessential fish song should start from the beginning yes starting to groove it, it goes on for a long yeah, time uh everything through that is is all composed mm-hmm. and i think i should say here that every song on this album except for one called montana that's just a tweezer jam so technically tweezers on this album twice sure. uh are songs that they still play live today yeah so in terms of successful bands that we have talked about so far on this show Fish is probably the most successful 
continuously of all of them. Oh, absolutely. They've taken breaks here and there. They're among fans. They have three eras: 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Oh, okay. Let's go through them. 1.0 lasts from 1983 until 2000 when they decide to take a hiatus. <laughs> okay. They played from 2002 through 2004, and Trey was basically in a drug-fueled haze the entire time. And But but in a bad way. In a really bad okay. way. I can't listen to shows from that era. I, I find it all to be garbage. A lot of people will disagree with me. And they said they were never getting back together after that. That was it. They were breaking up. And Trey went through rehab, he got better, and from 2009 until present has been 3.0. And they're a little bit more straight ahead in terms of their jamming most of the time now. They'll pick random shows to go way out there. And once again, some people will, will disagree with me on this. Some of their albums have become more straight ahead. Even Billy Breeze was a, a pretty straight yeah. ahead album. But they've stuck to what they do mostly and are... Just as big as they were back in the 90s, if not bigger. More people know who they are than they did than how many did back then. They have maintained a major level of success with the same men, members for 36 years. Okay, so 36 years from now, I want this podcast to have the same hosts. Um, and uh, but like longer dumber jams than ever before uh, perfect well we'll uh, wait a minute they didn't have another live album in the 90s god damn it <laughs> we'll we'll cover rift in like okay cool in, in like 2045 and see oh, how that yeah. goes <laughs> this this will be our last fish album for a little while unfortunately by then we will have been drawn into an actual interdimensional rift <laughs> And uh, but actually, but the only effect of that is we'll be doing the show in Spanish. Yes, which will be que bueno, <laughs> que bueno. <laughs> All right, um, I think uh, I think we can wrap it up there. What do you think? I I think so. The the one thing that I want to say here is, I think this band has spoken to me so much and still speaks to me because they have so many different things that they do that it keeps things interesting. And I'll leave this with a story, which is my 20 year high school reunion was July of 2018 uh -huh. and overlapped with fish playing three nights at the gorge. Yeah. When the shows in, at the gorge were announced, all my friends said, well, you're not missing the reunion. Right. And I said, you're joking. Of course I'm missing the reunion. Yeah, I'm going sure. to see fish. And they said, Why? Why on earth are you still seeing this stupid band that you've been seeing for 20 years instead of going to, to visit all your friends? I mean, part of the edge of that is high school reunions are kind of dumb. They're but, pointless now. Yes. Facebook has made them right. obsolete. Well, it's, I mean, it's harder to like hook up with someone from high school. I'm, no, it's not. It's hey, that's easy to. Sup, right? girl. We're 38 now. Uh, so. I went to the shows because I said, if they do one thing that I regret missing, I'm going to regret it for years. Okay, so what what could that thing be? I'm going to explain okay. it right now. So usually for me, it's what's called chasing a song. I've, okay. I had seen them 77 times up to that point, and there are quite a few songs that I'd never seen them do. Okay, now I'm totally on board with this. This makes perfect sense to me. Well, one of those songs is uh, a song called Tila. I've got an 18 and a half year old cat named yeah. Tila. This song means a lot to me. And somehow after 77 shows, I'd never seen it. What album is it from? It's, or is it? It's not on okay. an album. I, it, it would take a while to explain okay. that. And we're not going to go into we it. We can today. link to that on fish.net. Um, but 
I'm walking around all weekend saying to people they're going to play Tila this weekend, which, by the way, never works. If you think they're going to play a song, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. And the third night, the last night, end of the first set, they start playing the notes, and my friend Chris turns around and just goes, Tila. And I burst into tears because everything hit me at once. The fact that I was finally seeing this song after 22 years, the fact that my cat named after this song is still alive after 18 and a half years and with me, and this moment of going, this is why I didn't go to my high school reunion. Yeah, nailed it. And it's moments like that that keep me coming back to seeing this band. Yeah. So Perfect. I, I love them still, and I will probably still love them 22 years from now. Um, yeah, I have, um, like, I don't do it as much anymore, but I, uh, got really into, uh, giving star ratings to songs in iTunes, like, uh, when I first start, first got iTunes in, like, 2003, maybe, 2004. Loser. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and making smart playlists and stuff, so I have a, uh, I have a smart playlist, um, that, uh, has all my five-star songs, and, uh, like, getting, getting to, like, add a, uh, being, having seen one of those songs played live to my list, like, there's almost nothing better than that. Name one. Name one of my five-star songs, like, uh, you know, that, that I have seen or haven't seen. Have seen. Um, I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be some, like, obscure indie shit, right? Of course. Uh, stars, your ex-lover is dead. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got it with other bands, like, like, yeah. seeing Radiohead, if I see a song that I haven't seen before... They they didn't play uh, Creep for years, and then for some reason they decided that they yeah. could start playing it again, and it's great to see them play that song live. Sure. It's amazing. Uh, okay, I'd, I'd say that about wraps it up for live one. All right. Uh, you can find us at hiddenjukebox.com, uh, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox. Um, you know, what... Uh, are, is there another band that uh, that has a subculture around it that you are a member of uh, besides Fish? I'd be curious to hear about that because I think there are probably some that I just don't know about at all. Are you asking me or are you asking No, no, I'm, I'm, asking, I'm asking the listeners to, to let us know at facebook.com slash hidden jukebox. Absolutely. I imagine, I imagine like uh, there, there's like some uh, like electronic and DJ like before it got really huge in the last however many years uh, like was probably like this for a while. No. No. <laughs> Maybe. Let I don't us know. know. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I'm Matthew Amster Burton. And I'm Jake Amster. Should we get to the chorus? No, because it's going to take another two minutes.